In today's episode, we learn what a sex therapist does and how she helps her clients. Keep in mind that this episode may not be suitable for young children, but adults might find it to be quite interesting and entertaining. Please welcome Susan Ryder to Rock Your Retirement. Talking with people about how to have a great retirement. This is the Rock Your Retirement Show. We don't talk about money, but we talk about almost everything else you need to rock your retirement. Now, here's your host, Kathy Klein. Our guest today is Susan Ryder, who has her PhD in clinical psychology and has been working in the field for over 15 years in the San Diego area. She works full-time for Arroyo Behavioral Healthcare, doing community outreach and clinical education, and part-time for HELP, H-E-L-P, seeking individuals, couples, and families in her therapy practice. Dr. Ryder sees a wide range of individuals, but has specialized in training sexuality and gender and expertise working with older adults. I have to tell you, I met Susan when I saw one of her presentations, and she is hysterical, and I couldn't wait for her to come on my show. So, Susan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, thanks so much, Kathy. Um, So I am a clinical psychologist, and I love working with older adults. And I have a specialty, as you mentioned, in gender and sexuality. And one of the things that I am really passionate about is making sure that people have vibrant, exciting sex lives throughout the entirety of their lives. So as opposed to just thinking about sex in our 20s or maybe in our 30s and then dying off when we have kids. Let's think about reviving it in our retirement years. So that's what I'm really interested in. Well, I love that because in my other life, I sell Medicare insurance. I don't like to talk about it on this show, but I constantly get asked if Viagra is covered by (laughs) Medicare, and it's usually not, unfortunately. So I love the fact that you help people have a great sex life. So tell me, when you were a little girl, you're five years old, and most little girls are thinking about becoming a princess or or maybe a ballerina, what did you want to be? Well, I wanted to be a veterinarian, and uh, which speaks to the fact that I have pets now. And I had decided I was going to be a veterinarian, and I started collecting little animals that were wounded and needed healing. Aww. And I think that desire to help just translated from four-legged critters to two-legged critters as I got older. So when did you make that transition? Oh, that was actually quite a bit later. So I started college with um, the intention of being a veterinarian and then had my very first um, intro bio class where we had a cadaver and passed out face first into the chest cavity. (laughs) Oh, that sounds like fun. That sounds like something I would do. Yeah, so um, luckily it was before cell phones where they could take lots of pictures of me passed out. Oh, that would be embarrassing. Yeah, so decided that maybe the whole pre-veterinary medicine was not the best choice (laughs) and uh, ended up completely derailing and became a political science major and was looking at sexual rights as a part of poli-sci. 
and decided after some time working for a couple of politicians that that was not my cup of tea, that I really wanted to be back helping and more on the medical side of things. And that's when I transitioned back into psychology. So before you became a psychologist and before you were working in the political side, you know, in, in politics, what other types of jobs did you have? Well, you know, like all teens, I was a waitress at some point. Okay. Um, but I had also trained to be a professional dancer. Not not pole, but <laughs> not that kind of dancing. Um, nothing against pole dancers. I just don't have the body for it. Uh, <laughs> well, you are pretty cute. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> but uh, So, no, I was actually a professional tap dancer for a period of time in the Midwest. Wow. And did that for quite a bit and taught dance and um, actually minored in dance in college. And then um, right out of college, I actually worked as a project engineer for a big commercial contractor out of Minnesota. And they wanted to put me through architecture school because I had a knack for design. And I was like, nope, I want to work with people. So I did some catering on the side, and I did floral arranging on the side, and I was a part-time wedding planner at one point. Now, that's psychology all in itself. Absolutely. Dealing with the bridezillas. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And uh, so it really kind of prepared me for the role of working with people day in and day out. Well, I love that. Those are some great, great jobs. And so we talked a little bit about... What made you decide to go into your current line of work? But do you want to expand on that? Oh, sure. So, you know, when I first started graduate school, I knew that I wanted to do gender and sexuality. So I found a program that had a specialty, but I really didn't know I was going to do older adults per se. Um, Because being a young person myself, I was thinking, oh, you know, I was in my 20s, actually my late 20s. But like most people, we think sex dies off as we get older. As you're, when you turn 30. Right, right. (laughs) Well, I had hoped maybe 40 because I had watched Sex in the City. So I knew 40-year-olds were having sex. But beyond that, wasn't so sure. But I did um, a rotation, a full internship at a local clinic here that worked with geriatrics. And I started finding that I was asking them about their sex lives, similarly to when working with young people. And they were more than happy to share about their sex lives or lack thereof. And they were so relieved to have someone ask. So I started doing research and I started really um, doing additional study and inquiry because... So now I I work with sexuality across the lifespan as opposed to merely in the younger years in life because I've come to realize that if you can have a healthy sex life, you can really, really improve the quality of your life as you age and decided that that was really a vital component that we tend to overly ignore even by your regular old gerontologists and geriatric specialists. And so that's how I kind of got into working with seniors and older adults, as well as my adults and my teens and the whole nine yards. Well, wouldn't sexuality also be part of, um, first of all, health, because you're getting some exercise, and also social, because hopefully you're having sex with another person and not just necessarily yourself all the time. Wouldn't that sort of interlap with some of the other areas that I discuss with my interviewees? Oh, yeah. It ties in hugely. I mean, there's definitely the exercise component, but some of us, as our bodies get older, we can't be quite as vigorous 
in the sack as we used to be. <laughs> so exercise is not always a part of it, but definitely getting our heart rates up. Um, it definitely also intertwines with depression and elevating depression because we are less isolated if we're having sex with others. But there are some other things that we often don't think about. Like, for example, nutrition becomes a big deal because if we're eating healthier, having sex is a little less problematic. Think about it. If you're eating really crappy and you feel really crappy and your stomach is really crappy and you're making all sorts of flatulence noises. It's harder to have sex. It's not quite as sexy <laughs> when you roll over and there's halitosis and, you know, gastroenterological quagmire next to you. So it really encourages us to kind of stay fit in part for ourselves and in part for a partner. And so there are a lot of aspects, and it really also helps us be able to connect with either our long-term partners that we've been with for a very long time throughout our lives, or to connect with new partners if, for example, we've had a divorce or we've had a loss, so that we don't get isolated. And so it definitely ties into so many different aspects, and people don't think about it. Well, that's why we're talking about it now. So let me ask you a question. You deal with a lot of sex issues and how do you get your clients? Do they look you up in the yellow pages or what, you know, how does somebody think about, wow, I, I want to talk to somebody about sex because that's not really something that comes up a lot in conversations that I have with my clients. You're absolutely right. So they come from a variety of ways. I mean, I do presentations in town, which is obviously how we met. And so sometimes a senior will see me at a presentation and kind of sneak up to me afterwards and say, uh, Dr. Ryder, uh, can I talk to you about something? <laughs> right. um, but I also get a lot of referrals from other professionals. So uh, there are other folks that work with older adults, and they know that I work with sexuality, so they'll refer patients over, as well as primary care. And sometimes it's just that I have people that come into my practice that are coming for a general issue. They're depressed, or they're anxious, or they're grieving, or they have a long history of bipolar disorder, or they have something else that they're working on and struggling with. And then I'm asking them as a part of the intake process about their sexuality, just as a normal question, like I would ask them about eat and sleep and all of that. And it comes up because they bring it up. So it just kind of depends. I also get a lot of my patients through hospice because one of my foci is working with folks at the end of their lives to reconnect with a long-term spouse and be able to give the surviving spouse the gift of remembering their loved one as their partner and their romantic partner, as opposed to just the person they had to take care of. The caregiver. Mm -hmm. So, oh, there's my... There's her four-legged friend. We remember we we said that she wanted to be a veterinarian. And thank you, by the way, for letting me come to your lovely home. Oh, I sure. really appreciate that. So I did have another question that we didn't really talk about. So sure. if you don't want to answer, you can tell me. Do people ever get you confused with sex surrogates? Oh, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's less common that I get asked if I'm a sex surrogate among the senior population, but I get asked a lot if I'm a sex surrogate. And what a sex surrogate is, is an individual who is brought in often to a couple, but sometimes for an individual to help them learn healthier sex practices. 
So it's essentially someone with whom to practice having sex. And it's different than a pelvic floor physical therapist, for example, um, because there are physical therapists out there who work with people whose pelvic floors aren't tight for women specifically um, because of a prolapsed bladder or a prolapsed uterus or just due to normal aging. And they work to help give them exercises to tighten that area. But a surrogate is actually someone that has sex with the patient or the client in order to kind of teach them how to do it. I would not be a sex surrogate. No, um, you're a therapist. I'm a therapist, and it would be outside the bounds of my ethics as a therapist <laughs> to have sex with my patients. Um, but I do know quite a number of therapists in town who refer to sex surrogates okay. from time to time. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> Just wanted to get that off the table. Oh, please, please. No pole dancing, no sex surrogacy. <laughs> okay. Check, check. Good. We'll check those boxes. Tell me a story about one or more clients that was particularly heartwarming, funny. We love to hear stories on this podcast. So I have two that I'm thinking about. Um, one is more heartwarming and one is funnier. So I'll, I'll start with the heartwarming one and end with the funny one. So um, I was working with a couple and she was actually terminally ill and the husband had been the caregiver for probably about six months and she didn't have any cognitive impairment. So there was no dementia going on. It was really just a, a, a major physical illness. It was multiple sclerosis actually. Oh. And she had a lot of pain and a lot of, um, you know, peripheral problems with her limbs. So the husband had kind of relegated himself to caregiver and didn't really think of himself as his, his wife as his wife anymore. She was the woman he had to take care of that he loved desperately, but that he had to take care of. And so I came in and I started working with the couple. And I remember when I started working with her, her response was, well, I can't even feel the lower half of my body. How am I supposed to have sex with my husband? And I said, well, let me worry about that. And I said, because we're going to kind of expand our definition of sex to include sensual touch and intimacy and caress and all those things we used to do when we were 12 or 14 years old before we started having quote unquote sex. And all the things that were really fun. Exactly. So I define sex differently than Bill Clinton does. <laughs> and so it holds a variety of behaviors and they're just really ways to connect in a very special way. And I remember telling the husband and the wife, um, individually and separately to remind them that sex is really the way that distinguishes our romantic partners from our friends. Because we're not having sex generally with our friends, but we are with our romantic partner. So even touching a cheek. Touching a cheek, caressing an arm. That became her absolute favorite is he would take his fingers and start at kind of her knuckle and work his way up the top of her hand, up her arm to her elbow, and then back down. And she would just purr like a kitten. Aww. And they were able to engage. I, I started having them do sensual touch five minutes a day. They did that through the end of her life. And the husband called me after she passed to let me know that she had passed. And he was in tears. And he said, I want to thank you for giving me my wife back because she had become my patient. And now I can remember her as my wife. 
as opposed to only having to remember her 40 years ago as my wife. And it just gives me chills to think about it. And I'm tearing up right now. (laughs) Because it's so beautiful to be able to know that he could have that connection with her again. And that his last memories don't have to just be about being her caregiver. So it's really a gift to the surviving spouse. What a wonderful thing you did and what a wonderful memory that you gave that man. So now that I'm crying. <laughs> so you want a funny memory <laughs> yeah, of a patient? Me, I'm wiping my tears. Let's hear the funny story. <laughs> so I was working with, on the other end, I was working with a grief support group, an all men's group who had lost their wives to some sort of illness. And I had a patient, we'll call him Mike. And he had lost his wife many years ago, and he just found the group really helpful. And at this point, he wasn't even grieving, but he was really a support. He was kind of the cheerleader for everyone else in the group. Well, he had gotten himself a girlfriend, and he was all proud of himself because she was a younger woman. (laughs) Which they all like. 12 years younger than he was. A lot younger. I know. Well, he was 84, so, (laughs) you know, it's relative. (laughs) And uh, he was super excited, and... So he shared with me that he was having erectile problems and that he was, so I suggested, first of all, go to your doctor. We need to make sure that this is not physiological, that this is just a normal part of aging, which for 50% of men it is. So he goes to the doc. He wants Viagra because he thought I was saying, go get a blue pill. And I was just saying, go to the doctor. And get a full check. And get a full check. So turns out it's erectile dysfunction, but he can't take medicine because he has a heart condition and he can't take Viagra or Levitra or Cialis. And, and, and that's because it restricts the blood vessels or it expands them or something? It or? opens up the blood flow. So what it does is it relaxes the musculature in the, the penis itself in the shaft and it increases blood flow. And so Into that area, but, into de- that area. but decreases it everywhere else? It can decrease it in other places, but it changes blood flow is basically the problem. And that's why you can't take it if you have a heart condition. Right. And if you have different types of hypertension or blood pressure issues, it really interacts with that as well. And so he couldn't be on multiple medications, including his Viagra, which he wanted desperately. (laughs) Because he wanted, you know, his girlfriend. He wanted to please his girlfriend. He was so (laughs) excited. So first we had to have the conversation about STDs. And he took one look at me and was like, I don't have to worry about STDs. And I'm like, yes, you do. And he said, and I don't have to worry about pregnancy. I'm like, you're right. No, you don't. Right. That's one thing a 74-year-old woman or how 72, old, yeah. She does not have prob- to worry about Probably pregnancy. not. Yeah. Unless mm-hmm. unless she's... Who was it from the Bible that had a baby from... I wasn't too worried. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, whatever, how old or ever she was. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So assuming that she's not Methuselah's wife, I was, I was pretty good. But I pointed out to him that the highest rates of STDs are among older adults. I've heard that in nursing homes. In nursing homes. Or assisted living homes, I should say. Because, you know, the thought process is I don't have to use condoms, so I'm not going to get her pregnant. And then STDs run rampant. And he's like, well, I'm not in a nursing home and I'm not in an assisted living. I'm like, yeah, but you don't know where she's been. (laughs) And she's a hottie. That's right. And, you know, she's been on the circuit for a while. You might want to go get tested. 
So when he was at the doctor, he got tested. He's like, see, I'm clean. And she got tested too. I have no idea what her results were. But Hopefully the, she shared them with him. I, that is my hope. I told them that if they can't talk about sex, they're not allowed to have it. <laughs> and he called me Mussolini. <laughs> so what happened? So his doctor said, look, you can't be on medicine, so go out and get a penis pump. And he gave him like a couple of catalogs with ones that he could order. Are these covered by Medicare? No. Okay. They're not covered by Medicare either. <laughs> Darn. I know. One can only hope. So if any Medicare providers or advocates are out there, if you can start advocating for penis pumps to be covered through your local DME and you need to start a petition, I have a group of men who are happy to sign. That's right. I'm sure we could find lots of signers for that. Exactly. So he went and he got one, but he didn't know how to use it. But I didn't know that. That's not how I found out. He came to group and he was going to report back what his doctor said. And he comes with this brown paper bag, kind of like you see at, a, like at the grocery store. And he sits it on the table and he goes, I have a problem, doc. I said, what is it? And he pulls it out and he sticks it on the table, this penis pump. He goes, I don't know what to do with it. <laughs> I don't know how to, I don't know where that goes. And what the heck is that? And this is in front of all the men. This is in front of eight other men. And they were cracking up. They, and <laughs> did, they, they, of did course. Did they know how to use it? No, they didn't either. They were just, as, it was morbid curiosity. And they looked at me and they're like, come on, doc, you got to help him out. He's kind of up the creek without a paddle if you don't help him. <laughs> so how did, how'd you help him? Did you get a cucumber or something or what, what'd you do? I, I asked him to use his imagination <laughs> about where the pump was going to go. And I actually took the pump and I showed him how to use it. And I pointed out where the cock ring was. And when he heard that term, he grimaced <laughs> and some of the men crossed their legs. And I explained that that's going to be his new best friend. Okay. And he ex asked me why. And we went over all the reasons why. And we just kind of had a normal conversation about it. And the next month he came in and he's like, Sadak, it worked. <laughs> That's great. Did he say that in front of the other men or was that... Uh... He did. He was so proud. Well, I think he was trying to show off okay. that he knew how to use it and that it was working. <laughs> um, and, you know, at that point, the gauntlet had been thrown down, right? Because he had basically admitted in front of eight other men that he didn't know how to use this thing. And I did ask him, well, why didn't you ask your primary care doc? He's like, I was embarrassed. When he referred me to go get it and he essentially prescribed it for me, he kind of assumed I knew what to do with it. And I didn't feel comfortable asking him. I said, but you would ask a woman half your age <laughs> but in you're front a of a group? therapist. Exactly. <laughs> He's like, well, you're the sex therapist, aren't you? Well, that makes complete sense. So now I have to ask, did the eight other men run out and get one of these? <laughs> they all denied. Oh, okay. And yet, I don't necessarily think that they're all being truthful about it. <laughs> Because we did have others in the group who had other young chicky girlfriends. Okay. And uh, given that 50% of older men have erectile dysfunction and many men can't take medicine, I'm assuming there were a handful of guys in that group who were using penis pumps themselves and 
<laughs> it's all good. Well, yeah, you did a good thing. You helped you helped a couple be able to become closer. It's so kind of a mitzvah. That's, that's how I look at that's it. That's wonderful. I love that. Tell me about a typical day in your business. And maybe there isn't one, you know, because of what you do. But how do you help my listeners who are actually my listeners are baby boomers? Mm-hmm. That's my typical audience. So you're probably um, you could be helping the baby boomers, but you could also be helping their parents. So tell me about a typical day. Yeah. So, I mean, sometimes, as you know, I'm doing presentations in town and sometimes it's a senior center and sometimes it's just out in the community. So people can learn about sexuality as we age. Um, sometimes I'm doing consulting where I'm actually consulting for a doctor and, um, where they're calling me on a case because they're not sure what to do. And it's either a a physical medical doctor or it's another psychologist and they want to know what to do with someone. They don't necessarily want to refer someone to me, but they, they have questions about what to do and how to do it. And I also work quite a bit with individual residences. So like assisted livings and skilled nursing facilities and the ombudsman who are kind of in charge of making sure that things are going well to talk to them about patient rights when it comes to sexual experiences. And they're allowed. They can't restrict them. Exactly. And so, you know, one of the things that comes up, and this does come up for the baby boomers. So when you have someone who's in a skilled rehab because they've, they're getting a total knee replacement. And, you know, so it's not a function of pneumonia or a long-term disease. They're going to be there for a short period of time and then they're going to come back. Well, if they've been sexually active, you know, they learn that if you don't use it, you lose it. And so if you have an active sex life with your partner and say it's not even a, a total knee, it's a total hip. Okay. I want to make sure that the physical therapists on site there are thinking about how, what the implications are with regard to going back to normal daily activities in terms of their sex lives. Because if it's back to that total knee, can they kneel? Right. Can they get on their knees? Is that a priority for the physical therapist? It might not be, but if they haven't asked the question, what positions are you in sexually? They might not know that that's a preferred position and that might be something that they want to work towards in terms of physical gain. Same thing for like a hip replacement. So that's one of the ways where I interface with the baby boomers, right, in a, in a skilled nursing. But sometimes it's with y'all's parents who are in the skilled nursing. So sometimes it's dementia folks who don't remember their long-term spouse and they now have a girlfriend or a boyfriend in the memory care facility and kind of working with the families to talk about what that looks like. Because that's tough for families. It is. I mean, imagine you're a 50, 60-year-old individual. Your parents are in their 80s or their 90s. They've been married married for 60, 70 years. Mom has, you know, lost her cognitive functioning and she now has a boyfriend in the unit and dad is broken hearted and hurting. And so it's not even about sex in terms of physical contact, but it's that emotional connection. So how can you, as the, you know, the child of a octogenarian be there for the dad whose mom now has a boyfriend in the unit and dad feels completely, you know, shut out and mom doesn't even remember dad. 
So, you know, sometimes sex therapy takes that form. But for our older adults that aren't in their 80s and 90s and who are our baby boomers, it's helping maintain vibrance. So a lot of the work that I do is, you know, having couples come in and talk about what they're going through. And sometimes it's a function of kind of that empty nesting, right? So sex life was great in our 20s and 30s. And this is for couples that have been married a long time. Kids came along. We got busy. We got tired. We stopped having sex. Right. (laughs) You know, the wife goes through menopause. So she's dry as the Sahara. And it's like sandpaper. And the idea of having sex again is not only frightening, but painful. And the husband is looking to kind of reinforce his identity. And the best way he can think to do that is to reconnect with his wife, who he essentially has not had a lot of sexual contact with. He's had golf, but he has not had a lot of sexual contact with his wife. And before Viagra, this wasn't too much of a problem. Right. Because what was happening is these men couldn't get it up, so they were kind of relieved their wives didn't want to have (laughs) sex with them. Because then they didn't have to deal with, oh my gosh, she wants something I can't do. Right. So now they have Viagra, and they're like, hey, hey, honey, come on over here. And she's like, don't touch me. (laughs) So a lot of times it's negotiating how to have sex again for the first time with a different body than the one you had sex with that when you had your kids. Right. And there's all sorts of fun and exciting ways, but there are things that we didn't think about when we were in our 20s or 30s or even 40s sometimes. And it can feel awkward and it can feel stilted and it can feel, you know, fake and, and, and just like staged. And so it's getting back into a new rhythm and a new groove. For some of my baby boomers, you know, they divorce at this period in their lives. Which is sad because they've spent 30 years with a partner. And often the last 20 or 15 have been sexless years. So now they're out looking for a new partner in their 50s or their 60s. And Looking for a partner in your 50s and your 60s is different than looking for someone in your 20s and your 30s. And your priorities are different. And But your body is still different, and whether you're a male or a female. And we often forget about those things. And so it becomes an awkward conversation. And we revert back to being 14, right? <laughs> where we close our eyes, cross our fingers, and hope it works well. <laughs> turn out the lights. Right. Turn off the lights. Don't look. <laughs> I don't want to see my own body. And I certainly don't want to see yours. <laughs> and, and it becomes a problem because then they wonder why sex is an issue. And I'm like, well, because you're doing it in the dark. That's why. And, you know, and, and I laugh and I make, you know, jokes a lot with my patients. I'm like, how was finding the hole in the dark? (laughs) And they're like, what hole? You know, so it's, and it's helping them realize that they, they probably didn't have a lot of conversations about sex when they were younger. It was just kind of do it and hope it goes well. And if it does great, and if it doesn't move on to the next person or just deal with it for 20, 30 years. But that you can actually have a conversation about it with your spouse or your potential spouse or your new girlfriend or your new boyfriend, and that it can be a really great way to connect. And kind of the last group that I work with, and I I don't put them last, but it's probably the smallest percentage, are people that later in life are either coming out or who have identified as lesbian or gay their whole lives, but now they're trying to date in their 50s or 60s. And... Gay and lesbian culture tends to favor youth. 
So well, everything in America yes, favors youth. It does. And it's and it's hard when you you know, if you go to Hill out here, Hillcrest is where, you know, our, our it's kind of the hub of our LGBT community. In San Diego. In San for- Diego, yeah. So you know, if you go to Hillcrest and or you go to the LGBTQIA center, um, you find a lot of young people. But it's not a hub for my 65-year-old who wants to find a partner that they can, you know, spend their, you know, twilight years with. And so, you know, we talk about that and we, you know, we work on connection and creating meaningful connections. Or for people that, you know, have been in a long-term marriage and that marriage is either dissolved because of divorce or death. And now they're coming out after years of being in the closet. And we have somebody famous who just did that. We do. We do. And, um, you know, and it's, it's one of those pieces where it's not just, if they have children, adult children, you know, it's not just about their journey of coming out. It's the whole family. And, you know, some kids are okay with it and some kids knew all along and some kids are like, finally, and some kids are like, you've got to be kidding me. What's wrong with you? And so, you know, how to deal with the, the lack of familial acceptance or cultural acceptance. But again, it goes back to having a sexual identity. Do you deal with the entire family? Sometimes, sometimes, um, even if they're not local. So there are times where I get on the phone, sometimes they come out and visit, you know, um, so if they're coming out for a visit for mom and dad and they're already here, mom and dad will drag them to a therapy session, sometimes against their will. (laughs) You're going to take me to my doctor's appointment, wink, wink. And I'm like, and they show up at my office and are like, you brought me to your sex therapist? (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I'm not a surrogate. I know that. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I, I'm not a pole dancer. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> so we are going to wrap this up. And so there's always a few questions that I ask my guests. Sure. And the first question is, what do you think that people should know before they retire? Oh, that's a huge one. So the first thing I want them to know before they retire is that Retirement is not about relaxation alone. Because a lot of people look forward to retirement and they think, this is my time to relax. This is my time to slow down. This is my time to really not have to do anything. And having nothing to do with sex and everything to do with sex, if you go into retirement with that thought process, it increases your likelihood of depression. Because... We know that, again, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? So as you stop using your brain, as you stop going out and being physically active, as you stop kind of engaging with other people, which you were doing just as a function of working, um, our bodies slow down, depression kicks up, we tend to become more isolated, we tend to be more prone to falling, we tend to be more prone to, you know, all sorts of physical problems. So I liked for them to have a plan after retirement that revolves around activity and looking at this as a new, exciting phase in life. So it's an opportunity to have a chapter where it's about increasing your activity, but in ways you want to. 
increasing connections the way you want to. So you don't have to deal with the coworkers you've always hated, <laughs> you know, that you've put up with for 40 years. You now can actually choose the people you spend your time with, but I want you to spend your time. And I want you to get out and I want you to see this as an opportunity to really engage and re-engage in life and to rethink about, okay, well, who am I now? Because if we look back throughout our lives, we have various versions of ourselves. And those versions of ourselves are for all sorts of reasons. You know, we become a parent or we become a boss or we become a spouse or we lose a spouse or now we're a divorcee or whatever those things are. But retirement is another identity also. And it's not an end, it's a beginning. So having somewhat of a plan and knowing that that plan is going to be kind of winding and just kind of going along with the journey, but being an active participant in that journey. So have a plan. Yes. That is fantastic advice. Thank you for that. Sure. The last question that I ask is we have a lot of listeners who are either new retirees or maybe they're already retired, but they feel stuck in their lives at the moment. If you were sitting across the table from a new retiree or someone who felt stuck, what's the one piece of advice that you would give them to have a successful retirement from here on out? Get out, be social, be active and find yourself. Um, as opposed to looking for life to find you, find your life. And that includes finding your sexual self. And don't be afraid to find that sexual self. And it's a great way to meet new people. And it's a great way to start a conversation. If you want to start a heated conversation in a room, Start talking about sex. It's that thing we're not supposed to talk about <laughs> along I'll with religion and in politics. My, in my next uh, church group. No, yeah, I'm kidding. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, just don't, when we get stuck, it's because we feel like we don't have any options. But often it's because we've defined those options pretty rigidly. So empty your mind of those options and start fresh and just ask a question. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been such fun. Yes. I really appreciate it. And if people want to reach out to you, how would they do that? So right now, the easiest way to get a hold of me is probably via email, but I know not everyone has email. So if you want to reach me by phone, I am in California. Pacific Standard Time. So Keep this in call mind. At three o'clock in the morning, our time. Right. <laughs> yeah. So if you're on the East Coast, if you could wait until after 9 a.m., that would be good, which makes it 6 a.m. my time. And that number is 858 382 1110. And my email is it's Dr. Susan Reiter at gmail.com. So let me spell that out. It's D R S U S A N W R I T E R at gmail.com. So my last name is like writer, like an author. And so you can find me that way. And I'm happy to answer any questions. And I'm always happy to refer you or give you ideas or. You know, if you are living in another part of the country and you need ideas or suggestions or thoughts, 
feel free to reach out. Well, thank you again. And we'll see you next time on Rock Your Retirement. Thanks for listening to the Rock Your Retirement show. If you are rocking your retirement or know someone who would make a great guest on our show, please send us an email at podcast at rockyourretirement.com. If you would like to comment on our episodes, you can go to rockyourretirement.com. You can also call our comment line at 858-8-R-O-C-K-I-T, which is 858-876-2548. You may also want to subscribe to the show. This allows you to listen in your car, listen while you walk your dog, go to the gym, or do the dishes. Just go to the iPhone podcast application and search for Rock Your Retirement. If you have an Android phone, you can subscribe using Stitcher or Podcast Addict. Planning for retirement? What about mom and dad? They need to decide where to spend their senior years. They want to stay right where they are, safe at home. 101 Mobility is here to help so your parents can live comfortably, safely, and independently at home, which means you stay worry-free and relaxed in retirement. Does dad have difficulty on the stairs? 101 Mobility can provide a stair lift or ramp solution. Is mom uneasy in the bathroom? Let 101 Mobility give her confidence and security with our bath safety solutions. Whatever the mobility challenge, 101 Mobility of San Diego is here for you. 101 Mobility is a licensed contractor and a leading provider of mobility and accessibility solutions in San Diego. Call 101 Mobility today at 858-800-2820 and schedule a free in-home consultation and home safety assessment. That's 101 Mobility of San Diego at 858-800-2820. Enjoy life, not limits.